Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Stephen Goodman. And for more than 30 years, he's the president and CEO of SHG Planning and has provided insightful solutions to the challenges of business succession, wealth preservation, retirement, and charitable planning. And today, he's going to share with us something that's not really talked about too often, but incredibly important to us, business succession and estate planning. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Steve. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I look forward to it. So Steve, I was wondering if you can give a little bit more about your background, share that with the listeners and what you do. If you can start off by sharing that, that would be great. That's great. First off, my background, when I graduated from school, I had an undergraduate degree in accounting. I went to work for one of the big accounting firms, KPMG, Pete Marwick. I'm a CPA. I have my MBA in finance. I worked for JP Morgan for about three years in their private bank trust and investment division. And for 30 years, I've owned my consulting firm, SHG Planning. My firm basically gets involved in succession planning for a lot of family businesses, but also businesses that are owned by you know different partners or key employees. The estate planning that ties into that, risk management planning, like life insurance planning and disability long-term care planning, and kind of integrate all of those things together. Awesome. So Steve, you know, as we kind of get started and we come up and, you know, we start to have families and everything like that, estate planning really becomes something that's really important for us to kind of make sure that we're taking care of our families down the road and everything, you know, so as we kind of get started in that, like, what is, how do you even get started with estate planning and where do you take a look at it in terms of like wills and trusts? Can you talk a little bit about what the differences are and, you know, what's kind of like the best vehicle that we can kind of utilize as we're getting started? Well. When people use the term estate planning, generally that's a term used for people who have a lot of wealth, all right? But even if you don't have a lot of wealth, it's very important to dot your I's and cross your T's. So let's give examples. A young couple, let's say they just started a family. They have young kids. We just had a conversation about being a grandparent and being a mom. So use you and your husband as an example. You know, you have children. That's your most important asset, your kids. So what some of the things that I find are problems that young people have difficulty solving is you sit down with your husband and you say, if something happens to the two of us, I want my parents or I want my sister or I want my brother to be the guardian. Forget that you have to make sure they want to be the guardian, but that's why. And then your husband says, I don't want your parents as guardian. I want my parents as guardian. I want my brother and I want my sister. So sometimes what happens is a young couple doesn't do their wills because they're fighting over who's going to be the guardian of the kids. Now, understand that unless the two of them die at the same time, like God forbid in a car accident or a plane crash, whoever dies second is just going to go change everything anyway. So like if you and your husband are fighting, and then, God forbid, he dies. You're they're going to pick 
to be the guardian of whoever you wanted anyway, because you're the survivor. Okay. If you die first, he's going to pick whoever he wants because he's the survivor. So it's that one in a million chance you're going to die together that you would need to have somebody that you jointly agree on. But many times kids don't, young adults don't do a will because they can't agree to that. So that's like one big issue. Second big issue is caring for your children versus caring for your money. So sometimes people say, oh, I want my sister to be the guardian and I want her to be the trustee and executor over all the money. So let's use an example. You do this for your sister, but you and your husband are much more successful than your sister financially. And you guys live a very different life than your sister. So now you and your husband die and your sister is the guardian. Well, is your sister's house big enough to fit your two kids? Like, are you going to make your sister have to squeeze in your kids with her kids into like a bedroom? And now she's going to disrupt her children's life. So sometimes the smart thing to do is say, if I'm going to make my sister a guardian, but she doesn't have a big house, I'm going to leave a certain amount of money in trust for my sister to be used to either buy a bigger house or to expand her house. So this way, my children will not inconvenience her family. A lot of people don't think of this. So now your sister gets the money and she could only use it for that purpose. It's not like just to give her money, just to go on vacation. So now she has the ability to buy a bigger house and she keeps that money. It's like, that's her money. That's part of the payment to take care of your children. So that's one issue. Then the second issue is, okay, we got past that issue. Now you leave your kids millions of dollars from assets, insurance. Your sister doesn't have anywhere near that money. Now she's in charge of the money. Your kids were going to sleepaway camp or to some camp that you and your husband sent them to. Your sister couldn't afford to send her kids to camp. So now what is she going to do? She's going to take money from the trust and send your kids to camp, but her kids are going to sit home during the summertime while their cousins are going to camp. Like that's not going to work well. So you're going to want to think about that and say, you know, by the way, I want my kids to go to camp and you could take some of the money in the trust to send your kids to the same camp as my kids. So this way they're all together. Now, your sister may say, no, you don't need to do that. But you may say, no, no, no. I don't want your kids to look at my kids as like having some special privileges that they don't have because that's going to affect their relationship. I want them to all feel like they're all enjoying the same things in life. So do you see the thought process here of how you got to think through all these things? Because sometimes people who are good people, money makes good people do bad things. And sometimes like your sister, who you could trust implicitly, could start pulling money out of a trust to just start paying for things for her kids and say, ah, my sister would have wanted me to do that. You know, like that's why you need if you're going to pick somebody as guardian and trustee, you need to sit down with them while you're alive and healthy and say, this is what I want to have happen. And this is what I want you to do as well for your family so that everybody lives comfortably together, so there's no misunderstanding.
So is that helpful a little bit? Yes, because sometimes, like you mentioned, we only think about one aspect of it. We're very focused on trying to protect our family and everything like that. But we forget about the other people who are the other parties who will be involved after you pass. And so by thinking about it holistically, you know, we're able to more effectively plan and have those conversations ahead of time. So everybody's on the same page. And you may determine based on the conversation you have with your sister, you may determine, you know what, I'm not going to pick her as the guardian. I'm going to pick somebody else. And, you know, you'll explain to her why, but you may pick your husband's sister or brother. Usually, I mean, look, somebody who loves your kids and loves you and cares about you is the most important thing. But all things being equal, having them live with a family that's in a similar financial situation to you and your husband is going to lead to less of these issues than if, you know, there's a big difference and you are much wealthier than the family that you're leaving your kids to. It's going to lead to uncomfortable things happening and you you want to minimize that. And so how do you approach these conversations when you're wanting to get other people involved in it? And as you're having these conversations with your spouse or whoever like that, like, how do you start to approach these types of conversations? Well, first, speaking to people who have knowledge before you have the conversation is helpful. Like having a conversation with you right now, you would probably approach your wills maybe a little differently than you would have if you didn't hear what I just said. So that's the first thing you want to talk to friends, you want to talk to attorneys, financial advisors, so you, you get a feel. And then my always my best recommendation is honesty, upfront honesty, like have a very honest, direct conversation with parents, brothers, sisters, friends. Sometimes it's a friend that you pick. Make sure everybody lays it all their cards on the table because you're better off doing that than kind of beating around the bush and then something happens to you and bad things take place. So also two of the vehicles that we have been talking about have been wills and trusts um, in our conversations. We kind of mentioned those two vehicles. Can you talk a little bit about what's the difference between those two and which is the more, what's the difference and what's the benefits and the, um, the cons for either way? Okay. So inside of a will, there are usually trusts that are part of the will. So when somebody dies and the money gets distributed, especially if you have young children, and even when you have spouses, a lot of times it's put into trust because you don't want them to, part of my French, piss away the money, or a wife remarries and the guy she remarries is not a straight person and somehow wants to get at their money. So usually trust exists inside of a will. Everybody has a will, like everybody should have a will. Sometimes people have what's called a revocable trust, which means they transfer their assets while they're alive into a revocable trust. And the revocable trust almost is like the will, plays almost the same role. And the will is used for whatever never got put into the trust. But then the trust and the will kind of dictate where money goes. And in that case, the only reason you're doing it is that Every state's different, but you're avoiding probate. Anything that's in a trust doesn't have to go through the probate courts. Its privacy is protected. So like sometimes when you hear like, oh, you know, Prince died and he was worth like $80 million because some of the information when you go through probate becomes public information. But if it's in a trust, you don't know what he had because it's kind of protected. So 
That's not done for tax reasons. That's done more avoiding probate, but they're somewhat similar instruments. Usually the will is where you can have guardian. You're not going to have guardians in your trust. The trust is more about moving of assets. The will will be assets, but also, you know, your children, guardian, who's going to take care of them is going to be in a will. Then there are irrevocable trusts. That's like a life insurance trust is generally irrevocable. You make gifts into a trust to move assets out of your estate so that when you die, it's not part of your estate. So if you're very wealthy, there's less estate taxes due. So those trusts are usually done, almost always done when you're alive, and it's called an irrevocable trust. I mean, we could spend four hours on this subject, but I want to hit upon like the main points. I don't want to get people too bored listening to every little detail. And so for either a will and a trust, should we be having both of them set up in place or is it okay to have either one or the other? Well, you always have to have a will because like I said, there are certain things not usually covered in the trust and you may not have every asset in the trust. So you always need a will. But you could have a revocable trust as long as you move your assets into that trust, and that's going to be used as kind of a will. So generally, everybody has a will that's doing any kind of planning, and some people have a trust, not everybody. And as you start to build up your portfolio, you know, like if I set up a trust today and I have certain amount of assets that I've placed into this trust that I want to have my children inherit or something like that. And then how often are we reevaluating these trusts and updating it? Because if you're a younger couple and then you're kind of in the beginning stages, do you need to be reevaluating and continuously updating it like on a yearly basis or like a five-year basis? Like what's kind of like the common terms that you would need to be updating and reevaluating? It's a very good question. There's no right answer, but here's what I would recommend. If any significant life event takes place, another child, a divorce, a death, a significant inheritance, like all of a sudden your assets are suddenly very different when they were before, okay? You're subject to a lawsuit. Any of those events take place, you should be immediately looking at it, even if you did it a year ago, because a big life event took place. If nothing of significant have changed in your life, I would say every three to five years, is probably a reasonable time period to readdress it. Oh, also, if the tax laws change, like we have a new president, something's going to change. So that's to me, that's almost like a new life event, a new tax law. That means you should be looking at it now. And based on the changes in the law, how do I have to modify? You may not have to modify it. You know, if you're not very wealthy, you may not have to change anything. If you're very wealthy, then you may have to make a lot of changes. So that would be another reason to do it immediately when there's a tax change taking place. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. 
can you share some of the different strategies that like the ultra high net worth people are utilizing that we typically don't hear about or we don't really are familiar with? Well, normally very wealthy people right now, the law federally is that a husband and wife each have about 11 and a half million dollars total of like 23 million, which is a lot of money. It eliminates, you know, 99.8% or whatever it is of the people in the country, a state is below that level. So for federal purposes, if your estate's below that level, you don't have any estate taxes. You, you could have it in your state, like every state's different. New York, the exemption's lower. So you could be worth 15 million and have no federal taxes, but you still have New York taxes when you die. California doesn't have any. I mean, it's different. Every state is different in how they handle these things. Um, so the for the wealthy people, normally they're using that lifetime amount, that 23 million. They try to give it away while they're alive because all of the appreciation on it is now growing outside of their estate. So if hypothetically I'm worth $23 million today, so I have no taxes, but I keep all my assets and 10 years from now I'm worth $50 million. Now I may have an amount way above the exemption. And now there's going to be a big estate tax. So if I knew there were certain assets that I thought could really appreciate in value, and I gave them away at today's value, any of the growth that occurred would be growing outside of my estate. So for real estate people, if somebody's going to go buy a piece of real estate today and leverage it, so there really isn't a lot of equity in the property, but they think it's, you know, it's going to be worth you know, three, four times the amount, and they're very wealthy, that may be an asset that they put in a trust because they say, I could get it into the trust at a very low value because there isn't a lot of equity. And maybe 10 years from now, it'll go from an equity of a couple of hundred thousand to be 10, 15 million of equity by paying down the mortgage and the appreciation. And now I've gotten that outside of my estate. So that would be something. Sometimes people gift those assets. Sometimes they sell them to their children. They usually don't do the whole property. It's in an LLC. So they give away, you know, non-voting or limited partnership interest in an LLC in a trust to their children so that when you value it, you may have a property that's worth $10 million. But if you own 20% of the limited partnership interest in it, it's worth a lot less than $2 million because who's going to buy a 20% limited partnership interest in a piece of real estate when the other 80% is owned by the fa another family that's in control? So usually you can get away with a discount on that value when you give it away to your children. So people do that as well. I mean, there are other things, but people buy life insurance. It's a common thing because a lot of people don't have liquidity. So when they die and the government wants the estate taxes, they buy insurance. Many times it's what's called second to die insurance. It's on a husband and a wife, and it only gets paid the death benefit after they both die, because that's when the taxes are generally due. So that's another you know, vehicle that's commonly used in estate planning. So then is there anything that we need to make sure that the estate planning covers? Or are there any, I guess, mistakes that you've seen that people do as they're planning these estate planning and everything like that, that we should be kind of aware of? Well, besides the issues I mentioned before about who you pick as guardian, who you pick as trustee and all of those issues, uh, you know, the common mistakes are 
people had the ability to get assets out of their estate and they never did it because sometimes there are wealthy people that either just, I'm not going to die. You know, that's part of what makes them successful. Like, you know, I'm a winner. Like, I don't have to worry about dying now. That's not going to be, that's not going to be an issue to me. Okay. And basically, so they don't make gifts. They don't get assets out of their estate or they leave things outright to their kids or their spouse. And then they get remarried or they get sued or they're in a, you know, have a divorce, you know, and assets get taken away from them. Uh, So, you know, that's another key issue. And so what are some of the, I guess, the repercussions, let's say if you haven't created a will and you haven't done like estate planning or anything like that, like, let's say if you don't do that and something knock on wood, something happens to you or your spouse, then what happens to all of your estate and all of your assets in terms of like wanting to will it to the kids and everything like they, that? They, you could either end up with greater taxes or assets going to the wrong people at the wrong time. If you don't do things right, you're going to end up probably with a much higher estate tax bill. If you're wealthy, you're going to end up having assets not necessarily go to who you wanted it to go to. So let's say you have a business and you have one kid in the business and two kids in a real estate business that are not involved, but your will just says, I leave everything to my kids equally. That may not be what you really want. So if you never get around to changing it, now you have two kids who own two thirds of the real estate business that aren't involved in it, and they're in control of the business against the one child that's actually running the business. So you you know that's going to lead to problems, okay? Or things go to the wife that you wanted to go to kids, or things go to the kids that you wanted to go to the wife, okay? Or they go outright, and a kid is in a, a divorce or a lawsuit, and potentially some of those assets could get to their spouse or to a creditor. So those, plus all the things I mentioned earlier about guardians and trustees and making sure you have the right person, and all of those things could happen. So would you recommend while you're establishing the wills and the trust and your estate planning, having these conversations of where you want everything to go to the beneficiaries as well? So they kind of know what's going to go on, like if uh, something happens to you? Well, good question. The answer is the following. Yes, but there are times that a parent, like I'll give you a hypothetical. I'm dad. I got this big business. You're my daughter. You're in the business. I have two sons. They're not in the business. My main asset is my business. So I want to leave it to you because you're the one in the business. And I don't have a lot of assets to give to my two sons. So I sit down and I tell that. And then my son goes and tells it to his wife, who I don't like that much to begin with. And then she says, I never liked you, dad. I'm really pissed. And by the way, he's not seeing his grandkids anymore because I'm going to hold the grandkids as hostage because I don't like what he's doing. And it's not fair that your sister is going to get this big business that your dad was responsible for building. Why is she going to get all this? And you and your brother don't get anything. And then dad says, what an idiot I was. I should have shut my mouth and not said anything. And when I was dead, they could have killed each other. But at least while I was alive, I would have had a good relationship with my grandkids. So it's good to be honest and to talk about things, but sometimes being honest could jeopardize your relationship with your kids and your grandkids. So that's why it's a tough, a tough call. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so Stephen, is there any other things that we should be considering that we haven't discussed um, so far yet about uh, estate planning and the wills and the trust and everything like that, that we should I mean, kind of be aware of? I mean, look, my, my general comment is this is a tough 
area. People don't want to think about dying, especially when they're young. There's so many decisions you have to make to do the right thing that are hard, emotionally draining kind of decisions. And so what happens is people don't get around to it. They just push it off because they're busy and they know they don't want to spend the money on lawyers and accountants, insurance. They don't want to make tough decisions. They're busy. So they push it off. So the best suggestion I can make is find the time for it. It's a very important. Make sure you have a good team of advisors. Be open-minded. I always say this. A lot of people are closed-minded. They have their little team of advisors. And like, if somebody else wants to give them an idea, like, okay, you're not part of my advisors. So like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, you don't just listen to everybody, but be open-minded to hear people out, have a good team of advisors that work as a team so that it's not like the accountant says, oh, I got this covered, you know, like, and he kicks everybody else out of the room because he wants to be in control with the client. That's not good for the client. You need to play nice together. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, you know, finding the time to do it, having the right team of advisors that work together, be open-minded to ideas. And again, I believe be honest with people as to what your intentions are. So in order to kind of streamline the process when you're approaching attorneys to establish and help you to plan, you know, what are some of the different documents that you kind of need just to kind of make it a little bit easier um, as you're having these conversations? Well, the most basic is a will with what's called a durable power of attorney, which is in essence, if you were to not die, but be mentally or disabled where you couldn't function, you give somebody the right to be you. So like generally it's your spouse. And if you don't have a spouse, it may be a parent, a brother, a sister, a kid, something like that. Then there's a healthcare proxy, which is you're giving somebody when, like if you're rushed to a hospital and like, they can't talk to you. You're like unconscious. Who's making medical decisions? So like your spouse should have it in their phone or something where they could say, here, I have the health proxy. I'm the one in charge of making decisions. And then you have the living will, which is pulling the plug. Who do you give permission to make that decision? Again, generally your spouse. So that's the most basic stuff people should have. Then having a revocable trust is like the next layer of complexity having an irrevocable trust, like I said, to put your life insurance in or gifted assets, you know, then there could be shareholders agreements. There could be other trusts to give away stock or real LLC interest in real estate. And it can just go on and on and on and on. But that's kind of from simple to a little more complicated. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. You're welcome. And so for you, Steve, what is kind of your next focus and what are you looking to do? And you're saying in my life? Yes, in your life. Well, that's, that's a good question. I mean, look, I'm not a golfer. I'm not like somebody who I'll never retire. And even I may retire from doing what I do, but I'll never retire. Like I, I'm, I always want to learn. I, you know, I would, I may go back to school. If, if I got to the point, I would get involved in more so in charities than I do today. Cause I would have more time. I'm very involved. I've always been supportive of education for underprivileged kids. I've been a big brother from like big brother, big sister. So I would always keep myself busy, you know, no, no matter what I, I just, every day I want to learn something I didn't know the day before. I don't want to get up one day and go to sleep at night and feel like there's nothing I, I did that I learned that day. And how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? 
Well, I'm not, that's not a big part of what I do personally. I mean, I have, I have homes. I, I'm invested in private equity funds that do real estate, uh, but I'm not an active, you know, real estate investor. That's not what I do, but I do have, you know, many clients that I deal with that real estate is their major asset. And so for you, and based off of the conversations you had and everything like that, what is something that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Well, probably I should have invested more in real estate when I was really young, because maybe I would be richer today. I mean, I've done okay for myself and I'm pretty sophisticated, but I know a lot of very wealthy people that that have made a lot of their wealth on real estate. And Steve, can you also share any tools or techniques that you've used that have helped to improve yourself, your life or your business that you can share with us today? A little bit what I just said, I'm an avid reader. As I said, I want to learn something every day. It doesn't have to be about business. I enjoy having a broad base of knowledge that I could talk to people in almost any subject area and feel like I could hold my own because I just spend so much time reading and learning and I enjoy that. So like I said, that's that's a big part. I could bring that to my clients. I could talk about that with my friends and my family. So that would be it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing, you know, this really piece of valuable information that, you know, that we don't really talk about too often. And it's very difficult to have these types of conversations and planning for the future. But it's something that we definitely need to start like taking a look at and making sure that we have all things aligned, you know, for our family and for ourselves and making sure that whatever we're, whatever assets we have or whatever our personal like uh, plans are is getting executed after we pass. And so I think that's such an valuable and important topic that, you know, we need to make sure we plan adequately ahead of time. Well, th- thank you. I hope, you know, look, I talked about a lot of things. So hopefully your audience at least picked up one key point. And so Steve, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, what is the best place to go um, to reach you? Well, a couple of things. I have a book on business succession planning that if you go to stephengoodman.biz, you could download for free. You can go to my website, which is shgplanning.com. I have you know numerous articles, probably like 70 articles on subjects, plus podcasts I've been on, videos that I've done. And my email address is sgoodman at shgplanning.com and best number 516-297-7390. And thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Welcome. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.